from Psalm 119, great peace have those who love thy law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for thy salvation, O Lord, and I do thy commandments. My soul keeps thy testimonies. I love them exceedingly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Last Friday evening, we were able to enjoy a whole and hearty beginning to our stewardship season. We were able to launch our pledging in the midst of a full Oktoberfest. Every bit of German food, music, beer, brats, gave so many parishioners a convivial time to enjoy one another and get their pledge cards completed. I'll leave the sermon for a second. You have an opportunity to join every one of those parishioners who completed their pledge cards last Friday night because you should have had one fall into your lap when you opened the bulletin. It looks just like this. So you have an opportunity today to complete the pledge card, put it in the envelope, because it's confidential, and give it to an usher, put it in the collection plate when it comes by, but there you are. You can continue what has started last Friday night with the pledge cards. The stewardship campaign, in other words, had a great launch. We ought to thank every Bavarian for blessing us with such rich cultural delights, and we ought to thank every parishioner who had a hand in creating and attending the Oktoberfest, for which the pledging got off to such a joyful and powerful start. Now, the second stage of the stewardship campaign is a stewardship sermon. You're in stage two. Here is the stewardship sermon. Rather than thinking of stewardship as asking for money, let's think of stewardship as caring for everything with which God has blessed us. In Christian stewardship, we take what God has given us, we use it, we improve it, and we pass it on to the next generation. None of us, let's face it, will remain in this part of God's kingdom. We will be here for a while, but we will move on at some future point, and God willing, be fully with Christ. Those who have come after us should be able to receive what we have stewarded. They should be blessed by those things, and again, make them better and pass them on. It's true for every part of our, Christian, our lives as Christians, and this includes everything about our lives. It includes our churches, our families, our work, our bodies, our minds, and certainly our souls. Everything. Stewardship means everything, and now we focus on our wealth, our money, and how and why we are to use it for the church. How are we Christians 
to be good stewards of our money. I think one of the most significant parts of being a good steward when it comes to money is attitude. I've come to enjoy talking about how and why Christians ought to spend their money and ought to treat their money and how they should treat their money in relation to their parish church. I think I like it because it has a good deal to do with attitude and does point to the person's whole view, whole attitude of how he sees God and what God deserves. Elizabeth O'Hara, I usually don't mention personal names in sermons, but I am going to mention Elizabeth O'Hara. Elizabeth O'Hara was a woman in my last parish who let me know very clearly, after we decided that we actually like one another, she let me know what she actually does not like about me. She said she really disliked it when I preached, as she said, on money. She declared in her aggressive yet endearing Austrian accent, I will not come to church if you're going to preach on money. The clergy ought not to be talking about money from the pulpit or from anywhere for that matter. It's unseemly, it's crass, and I wish you would not do it. After we had a good laugh, we were in her house when this happened. After we had a good laugh, I told her that I would not stop preaching on money, but we struck a deal where she would always come to church, the church that she loved so much, but I would warn her ahead of time on which Sunday I would be preaching on money. She thought that that would be great, and that's what we did. She remained a very faithful and supportive member of the parish until the Lord took her home a number of years later. Now, there was no way that I was going to change Elizabeth O'Hara's attitude about giving money to the church, or even hearing about it, for that matter. And there are other attitudes, I have found, about giving to the church that are not helpful, but they're prevalent. There are those who give to their church because they think that by giving, they will be able to mold the church and mold the ministry of the church in a particular way. The attitude is, I give a lot of money, so the leadership of the church ought to listen to me. There are givers also who think that giving is a good thing and that they ought to do it, so they give what I call, they give their fair share. They know that they have to give something, And they don't want to give just a little. But they don't want to give a lot either. They want to give what they think is their fair share. They give in relation to what they think others will be giving, and then they see where they fit. They don't want to be the worst giver, but they also know that they don't want to give a lot. They're comfortable with their fair share. 
There are those who give in relation to, as they would say, what's going on in the church. They see their pledge as a kind of behavior modification program. They think that they are rewarding positive behavior and that they're punishing negative behavior. If they like what's happening in the church, their pledge goes up. If they don't like what's happening in the church, their pledge goes down. It's a kind of I'll show them attitude. We're going to find every one of those attitudes toward giving. They are not the correct attitude toward giving, but at the end of the day, all of them result in giving. And you know, that points the giver at least in the right direction. After considering all the attitudes that I have heard and seen about pledging over the years, I come down to one reason for giving. When someone asks me, why should I pledge? My response can only be, because you're supposed to. It's your duty. We have a duty to give if we are Christians. Just read all the parts of the Bible about money and giving. Jesus preached and taught so much about the proper use of money and about the attitude of giving. They are one of his most frequent subjects of his parables. After considering all of the teachings, I can only come back to, we are supposed to give. Giving is naturally part of a Christian life, and it's codified in the teachings of the Episcopal Church since it's addressed in the Catechism of the Book of Common Prayer. Look on page 856 of what I call the New Prayer Book. It's there in the Catechism. When you find the question, it is, what is the duty of all Christians? The answer is, the duty of all Christians is to follow Christ. To come together week by week for corporate worship and to work, pray, and give for the spread of the kingdom of God. Do you want to do your duty? Follow Christ, go to church on Sunday, and work, pray, and give for the spread of the kingdom. You're doing your duty. Now, what's the benefit of giving only out of a sense of duty? Well, I think it's the same benefit as being a Christian. What are the benefits of being a Christian? the resulting richness of your life with your fellow man, the sustaining grace you receive from Christ's body, the church, and ultimately the goodness and the salvation of your soul. All the time we're here, we are preparing and building our souls for everlasting life. And for that, we need to grow in the virtues of faith, hope, and love. It is this virtue of hope, I think, that's cultivated and nurtured in us when we give. We are thrown into the future by hope. It's the virtue that will bring us toward the person that Christ intends us to be and toward the place that he and his father want us to be. 
Every time we give as we are supposed to, are we not assuming that we have a future and that that future is better than where we are now? I call giving the fertilizer of hope. The great theologian and doctor of the church, Thomas Aquinas, teaches us from his doctrinal and theological masterpiece, the Summa Theologica, that there is a definite future trajectory in paying tithes to the church. He is addressing the question in the Summa of whether or not the church as an institution can require us to pay tithes. In his answer, he essentially says that giving tithes to the church is both by natural law and through her precepts, pointing to signs of the future. Here's part of the quote from Aquinas' answer. Therefore, he that gave a tenth, that's the tithe, which is a sign of perfection, and that perfection which was to come through Christ was to be hoped for from God. In other words, Our giving is a sign that points us to the future when perfection in Christ is a reality. That hope comes from God. Don't we see this in the parable presented to us today in the gospel? The Pharisee and the tax collector are both praying in the temple. Now we know that Jesus is pointing out the bad attitude of the Pharisee and the righteous and justified attitude of the tax collector. Please read those prayers, reread the prayers of both men once again, and let it help you learn about true humility. But I want to take that parable and point out that in both of their prayers, they both have this definite future trajectory. Jesus has them both praying at the same time. They both know that there is a God, that neither one of them is in a perfect relationship to him, that they want to be at some future point in a better, more perfect relationship with him, or they would not have come to the temple to offer those prayers. They were hoping for something better. It is true that this virtue of hope pushes us forward, and it is in our giving that this virtue is sown and cultivated by God. And that's why we have, here it is, hope for our future through giving as the theme for this whole stewardship season, a season which runs, by the way, all year long. It is our giving that ought to be bold. It ought to be done with an attitude of longing and desire for perfection. It ought to be done with a confidence that you are doing your duty as a Christian. It ought to be done with a thankful love for God for bringing you this far and knowing that you are headed toward the future that contains forgiveness, a hope for those who live with you inside and outside the church, and ultimately, salvation. Hope for our future through giving 
also means that in our giving, the way things are now will not be the way things are a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. Again, we are thrown into the future by the virtue of hope. All the more reason to give now. When you do your duty by completing that pledge card, you are building the virtue of hope. And that's good. It's good for the church Catholic. It's good for the church of the Advent. And it's good for each one of us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.